awesome. How's everyone doing? You're good. Once you grab a seat on your chair that's nearest you. Uh, can we give the musicians a hand? So good. So good. Actually, it's a lot of hard work that playing the guitars and the other things and singing. I, yeah, I have to get here early. I used to do it. It's like it was way too hard. Uh, way too, way too hard. Very, very good. Oh, who's enjoying their summer? Yeah, like how, for how many people it's like summer, like you really look forward to it all year. It's actually a bit of a thing. Yeah, how many people don't even know that it's summer? It's just like you don't even care. Yeah, oh, that's good. I like it. I like it. Yeah, very good. I like. I really like these two weeks, last week and this week. I really like them because the year doesn't really start yet. For most people, you get a bit of a break between Christmas and New Year, not really going back till Monday and or maybe you even have a, like, I've got like another week off because I don't have a job anymore, so I just go back when I want. Well, actually, when you run out of money, that's when you feel motivated to get back there. So. But, uh, but uh, I really like it, the, the gap in the summertime, Christmas and New Year. It's a real good time to think. And I know we do a lot of, we do a lot of hard work throughout our week to, to avoid that thinking. You know, we have a Netflix subscription so we don't have to do the thinking thing, right? But the little gap, I think it's good to have that extra time where you can just think. How many people appreciate it? It's a good thing, right? And I reckon that these two Sundays are really good opportunities to get reset, refocused for what God's calling us to. I was saying this morning, you know, equipers, we have an arrow at the center of our logo. It's, a, it's actually a big idea at the center of everything we do. And it speaks to what we believe about you as individuals. It's what we believe about ourselves as individuals. It's also what we believe about ourselves as a collective, that we're created by God like an arrow. We're not created by God like a picture that you might hang on the wall. We're not created by God like a vase to hold vase, a vase to hold flowers. We're created by God like an arrow to hit a target, to achieve a thing, to, to make a, a violent sort of an impact in the world around us for His purposes. And, and whatever you're designed for, I can guarantee you it's different to what I'm designed for, but whatever you're designed for, it's you're designed in the heart of God and the purposes of God to hit a target and make an impact. I absolutely believe, 100% believe, a million percent believe. I believe it uh, 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 spiritually. I believe it religiously. I believe it from Scripture. I believe it psychologically and I believe it scientifically that you live your life under purpose. Every, every aspect, every, every moment of your existence from the moment you were born until the moment you die, you live all of the span of your existence underneath a banner of purpose that's unique for you. It's entirely unique for you. And then what you tend to do throughout your life is reach up and touch purpose from moment to moment. But I really believe there's a way we could live where we live our life in the purposes of God, in the promise of God. There's a, it's almost like there's a territory or there's a space to live in where you're in the purposes, you're in the plan, and you're in the flow of what God's called you to. And every single Sunday, whoever's preaching is gonna be trying to encourage you, you towards that space. Just like what Scott was saying this evening, that there, there's one thing we can do, we can pursue God. We can push our heart after Him, and we can find Him when we do that, when we pursue Him with all our heart. Amen? So my challenge to you before I even start what I'm, what I'm prepared to preach, my challenge to you is that what are you actually doing to, to keep reaching into purpose? Because if, if you're not 
taking some sort of action towards purpose, what you're doing is living accidentally. I didn't realize, I didn't realize it was quite that profound. Like that's actually just plain, that's really obvious. That's what the word accidentally means. It's the opposite of on purpose. Like, now, you'd never choose to live accidentally, but we do say things like, oh, we'll see what happens. Do you know, you should stop seeing what happens and start deciding what will happen. Start deciding, this is the direction that I'm moving towards. This is the plan I know. This is somewhere in this area. So I went to teacher's college because I felt God tell me to go to teacher's college. And when I was in teacher's college, I felt like God said, I'm going to be a school teacher, but I, be, I need to be a good school teacher. So I needed to do well in teacher's college because I needed to run a school so that I could change the atmosphere of a whole community. So I did all of those things on purpose, but God took my actions and He remapped them. So I didn't end up being a school principal, thank the Lord for that, because you have to write reports. Right, but I ended up creating something with a bunch of other people where we said, hey, we could do something great in schools. Not as school, a school principal, but I can remember standing in the upper theater and I was, it was as my teacher registration ran out. I was now a youth pastor. My teacher registration was running out. I was like, why did I go to teacher's college and work hard at all those assignments? This is actually more fun. But I was thinking, oh, what? You know, I was having to think in my mind about purpose just before I was preaching on a Friday night. And I, as I looked around the upper theater, I realized there were was, there was students there from 15 high schools. And I just suddenly realized, oh, no, God's trained me for something that I couldn't have seen when I was 20 years old. I couldn't have seen the upper theater. I couldn't have imagined myself doing that. But as I lived my life on purpose, hearing God say, do this. When I went to teacher's college, that, that going to teacher's college and then going to lead the church, they're the only two times where God's spoken to me. Other than where God's just hinted things at me, right? How many know that most of the time God just hints things at you? He's like, he's like, a, like an old sort of farmer dude. He's like, you're like, and God's like, you're like, what? what? And God's like, and he's like, <coughs> most of the time that's how God leads you, right? He's tricky like that. He's tricky. But every now and then God says, no, do this now. And I went to teacher's college now. I, I signed up and it was in two weeks later, right? And then it, God opened up purpose off the back of that moment. Okay, I, wanna, I want us to read a scripture and I want you just to, this is a nativity scripture, so it's a bit of a, like a, you know, it's like Christmas ham still in the fridge. It's still good to go, right? But we'll read this nativity scripture because I read this in, like, I read this in my devotions in uh, like October. I thought, man, this is, this is an angle on Christmas I've never seen before. Uh, bearing in mind that Christmas is something Christians celebrate all year. Right? We don't, we don't actually have a Christmas season. Right? It's actually every Sunday what we're here for is Christmas. Right, it's really, I don't know if you, did anyone know that, right? There's Christmas every, all week, all year for us, right? So just leave the lights up. Don't worry about it, just leave them there. The, um, have a look at this. It says in, in Matthew chapter two, if you don't know this story, I'll put it in context for you in a second. It says, um, they, the wise men departed. So they left, they were chatting with Herod and they, or they were chatting with Jesus and then they left. And then an angel of the Lord appears to Joseph. Joseph is Jesus' adopted father. And in a dream, and he says, rise up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt. Everyone say, Egypt. Not Egypt, Egypt. Everyone say, Egypt. It sounds like Egypt. And remain there until I tell you, 
Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him, right? So he rose up, this is Joseph, rose up, takes the child as a mother by night, and they depart to Egypt. And they remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, when the wise men introduced themselves and said, hi, we're the wise men, Herod should have realized he was about to be tricked. Like if that's us, if someone, they, they know they're wise, I'm the wise guy, you like, always be on toes when people introduce themselves as the wise men. They became, he became furious and he sent and he killed all of the male children in Bethlehem. So this is a historical story. And Josephus, I think it is, says that between 30 and 40 children uh, infant males in Bethlehem, a small village, were murdered when Herod sent that word out, right? All that region, anyone who's two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Herod died, and behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, and he said, Rise, take up the child as mother, and go to the land of Israel, for the people who sought the child's life are now dead. He rose, took the child and mother, and went to the land of Israel. But then he realizes that Achilos was reigning over Judah in place of his father Herod, and he was afraid to go to Judah. Being warned again in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, which also fulfilled the purpose. He lived in Nazareth, fulfilled the purpose that, he, that was fulfilled. The prophet said that he'd be called a Nazarene, and that earned us the reading, right? How many people heard this part of the Christmas story before? Right, these wise men come from the east. They're from a different culture outside of Israel, and they've seen in the stars that a king is going to be born in Israel. So they travel maybe months, maybe longer. They travel across the world, uh, and they come to Jerusalem, and they go straight to the king's palace because they'd seen in the stars that there was a new king born. And they come to Herod's palace, and they say, hey, we're here to congratulate you because there's a new king. Right? Herod checks, you know, Herod checks out with his wife, and he hasn't had a baby, right? He finds out he hasn't had a baby. Right? So Herod realizes that, Whatever the wise men have seen is a threat to him, right? Because if you're the king and there's a new king who's been born, but you haven't had a son, right? What the wise men are telling him is, hey, there's this new thing coming that is a threat to the current structure and the current system, right? So Herod freaks out as you, as because uh, he was an evil sort of tyrant controlling the king. He wasn't really a, a king chosen by God. He was just a political leader. Uh, and so he then works this plot to try and destroy this new thing that's being born, right? This new idea, this new king, this, 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 this promise. He tries to destroy the plan that's going to upset his way of doing things. It's going to upset his power base. It's going to upset his structures and the, the way that his government works, right? Okay, that's the story, right? That's the, and there's a big picture going on, right? In the middle of this, the angel speaks to Joseph and says, hey, flee to Egypt. So Joseph and Mary, and, and they take the baby, the infant Christ, and they flee to Jesus. And then there's this slaughter of innocents in Bethlehem that they escaped, right? And then at the, another angel or the same angel appears again to Joseph and says, go back to Israel, right? Go back to the promised land. So they go back to the promised land. And I was considering this story, 
And I was thinking of other parts of the Bible. I don't know if you realize that the Egypt appears in the Bible an awful lot of times. Like Egypt's in the Bible as many times as the promised land. Right? And, and this isn't the first story in the Bible of someone going, fleeing to Egypt and staying there for a period. In fact, Egypt is as old as the promised land. Okay? So the, how the whole promised land started is Abraham is in, is in, in Mesopotamia, which is in modern-day Iraq, and, and God speaks to Abraham. This is 5,000 years before Jesus is born. God speaks to Abraham and says, go to this land I'm going to show you. So Abraham travels across the map, around the desert, and down into what's modern-day or current Israel, right? And this is the promised land. And Abraham starts touring around the promised land, and God says, I'm going to give you all of this land. I don't know if you realize, though, if you read the story closely, though, What's the first thing that happens, the very first thing that happens when Abraham gets to the promised land? Okay, this is like the promised land. This is God's plan. This is God's purpose. Abraham leaves his family, his culture, his language behind, and he travels into a foreign land, right? And he, he's led by God, directed by God, and it's the purpose of God, not just for Abraham, but the purpose of God for humanity is locked up in Abraham's decision making. I don't know if you know what the first thing is that happens when Abraham gets to the promised land. And because and you maybe don't know, I'll tell you the answers. The first thing that happens when Abraham gets to the promised land is a famine. Right? I would, if, this has, if, this, if that happened to me, I would be suggesting to God that promised land isn't the right word. It's not, I, when you say promised land, I think you're thinking of something different, right? The first thing that happens when Abraham gets into the promised land, with the first, when Abraham steps into the territory God has allotted him, there's a famine and he has to flee to Egypt, same thing happens a generation, two generations later, Jacob ends up in Egypt and then there's a famine and ja or Joseph ends up in Egypt and then there's a famine and Jacob sends his sons down to Egypt to buy food and then they end up the whole family shifting to Egypt, right? The, all of the Hebrews, there's 76 of them, the extended family, all shift to Egypt because there's a famine. And then we see in the story of Christ, this threat comes, the angels warn Joseph, and there's, there's this threat of slaughter that's coming to destroy the plan and the purpose of God, and, and they flee to Egypt. It's a weird thing. Why would you flee to Egypt? The reason you flee to Egypt when there's a famine is because Egypt works even when there's a famine. Because Egypt is a system that works. If you know anything about Egypt geographically, as Pastor Jake language no doubt does, like if you know anything about Egypt geographically, you know that there's a river called the River Nile. That's correct, the River Nile. And it runs through, the, I went to correspondence school, so I can't pronounce anything. But, um, <laughs> and the River Nile floods every season, right? The River, Nile, the River Nile floods every season at the same time of year. It floods, and that's a, a allowed early, the early Egyptians to, to cultivate land further and further inland from the river, right? 
all of the early civilizations were around rivers. So, so Egypt and the Nile, Mesopotamia around the Euphrates, and there was another one in a, a big river system in Pakistan. Those are the early civilizations, and it's because of the flooding of the river allows you to grow more food, and you're not so dependent on what's happening in the weather system. So when there's a pressure in when there's pressure in the promised land, you have to flee to a system that you know will work. And the, the challenge we've got to think about with this story, this, these stories aren't in the Bible just because they're like, not just because they happened. There's lots of things that happened that aren't in the Bible, right? There's no record, record of what Jesus' first words were. There's the things where he stood up and preached, but there's no record of him saying, well, mama or dada. We don't know which was first. So important in our families, but we don't hear it in the Bible for Jesus, right? There's lots of things that happen that aren't in the Bible. The things that happen that are in the Bible are because they still happen, because they're part of a pattern, right? And when Jesus was in, when Jesus was born on earth, the first thing that happened when he arrived in his territory is he had to flee to Egypt to escape this threat, which was a mirror of the threat that came against Moses. See, Moses was the deliverer, and there was a threat against all of the young children. So these Egyptians, the Egyptians held the Hebrews as slaves in Egypt. They'd gone there to escape the prompt, to escape the famine, and then the Egyptians hold them as slaves, and they're building the cities of Egypt. And for 400 years, they end up being there as slaves, but they begin to multiply more and more new New life is emerging in this Hebrew culture, and the Egyptian systems and structures, the Pharaoh says, hey, the Hebrews are multiplying too much. They, we need to beat them down somehow so that they don't overthrow us. They don't team up with our enemies and overthrow us, right? That's what happens, and I'm just catching you up on the original story, right? And so the, 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 the story goes that Moses is born, and Moses' mom knows there's something special about him. So when the rule was that if, if a male child was born, a Hebrew male child was born, then you just had to put the, put the baby into the river. That was the rule. You had to put the baby into the river and, 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 and the baby would thereby be destroyed, right? So she, she knows there's something special about Moses. And so she waits as long as she can. She keeps Moses hidden as long as possible. And then instead of just putting the baby in the river, she makes a boat. Because she has to put the baby in the river, but she's like, oh, no, don't just have to put the baby. She makes a boat. And then she, as the Bible says she seals it up with pitch, which is the same word as what the, the ark, Noah's ark, was sealed up with. They don't really know what the word means, but it's something like salvation. It's sealed up with pitch. Because, see, sometimes when you're in your Egypt space, you went there to flee a famine, but now you're stuck in a space. You get stuck in a space, and you know there's something special about this stuff that's coming up within you. Right, But you don't know what to do. And the best you can come up with is make a boat and seal it up and hope. See, the best thing that she could do, she could hold on to this baby and keep it hidden as long as possible. But in the end of it, all she could do was hope and then put the baby in the river. I, I think about that story all the time. Like, how do you do that? This is the best I can do is to put my baby in a river and hope this all works out. And we know the story. Moses ultimately leads the children of Israel out of that. If you don't know the story, watch the Prince of Egypt, but I've told you the end. Ultimately, he leads them out. 
So you've got this Old Testament story of, of the promised land in Egypt, and then you've got this New Testament story that Matthew puts in, the front of his story. Old Testament story, 400 years, slavery, and then you've got this New Testament story. Go to Egypt. Go back to the promised land. I'm glad I'm a New Testament Christian. I'm I'm glad that I'm not an Old Testament Christian. Because I I know what it's like to be forced back to Egypt. I know what it's like to lose faith in the promises of God. I know what it's like to think this isn't working and I can't see how it's going to work. But I know that that will work and I can see how that's going to work. I know what it's like to get forced out of the promise of God and find myself going back to what I know, going back to what's familiar, going back to what I'm used to and thinking, I'm not going to think about the promise anymore. I've just got to make things work. See, the question you've got to ask yourself is not, is not do I ever find myself in Egypt? The question you've got to ask yourself is what is the thing that keeps driving you there? What is the thing that's, that's making you frightened? What is the thing that's eating your faith that drives you to Egypt? Because when we find ourselves in Egypt, we can listen again to the voice of the angel and return to the promise, or we can wait 400 years. See, I'm glad I'm a New Testament Christian, because because the angel said to Joseph, flee to Egypt. So he fled to Egypt. Fled. And then the angel says to Joseph, Herod's dead. Go back to Egypt. Back to Israel. So we went back to Israel. See, a lot of the time as Christians, we live in an Old Testament mentality. We live in a human paradigm that says, I'm, I'm in a, have you heard people say this thing? Oh, I'm in a bad, I'm just in a bad space. Do you know what the revelation of the revelation of Christ says that when you, when you say to yourself, "I'm just in a bad space," or your friend says to you, "I'm just in a bad space," you should say to your friend, "Just go to another space." I don't know about you, but if if you're in a room and then you smell a smell that's not polite, do you stay and complain or you just move on? I don't know if you have you ever been to EB Games. I find if I'm in EB Games and I'm standing next to the wrong person, I just tend to move on. I'll go and stand outside and wait for the boys. But the reality is there's so often, because we're in a bad space, we say, I'm just in a bad space. Things are really, how are you going? Oh, things are really tough here. What are you doing? I'm making bricks without any straw. Life's really tough. Well, the reality is that Jesus, what we see in the life of Christ what we see in this little baby Jesus is if in the space you're in is not the promise of God, move. Go back towards the promise of God. Don't worry about what forced you there, what chased you there, because it's dead now. Move back. See, if, we're an old te- if I'm an Old Testament pastor, this is going to be a long sermon. We're going to have to wait 400 years. And then we're going to have to rail against Pharaoh. Then we're going to have to wait for 12 plagues. There'll be frogs and gnats and hailstorms, right? The river, the harbor will be turned to blood. There'll be light in the, wherever we live and dark, wherever. Like, then, we'd have to, then we'd have to wait for the harbor to part and we'd have to head across to the prom, promised land. 
So the, the metaphor breaks down. And then we'd have to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And then we'd all have to die and our children would inherit the promise. But what, you can, what, what Jesus does is he undoes that story. As an infant, he goes to Egypt. And then at the right time, he goes back to what he's supposed to be doing. Here's the, here's the challenge for you is to think about what is it that drives you to Egypt? What is it that locks you in that space of, of, a bad, of, bad, of not bad, of limited thinking? What is it that locks you in that space of, of negative behaviors? And what is it going to take for you to get back to the promises and the purposes of God? Have a think about your mentality. One of the things I'm doing for, for a job at the moment is, is doing workplace training in mental health. And one of the statistics that we're talking about, we tell people about, is that 70, according to a recent study, 75% of all GP visits are stress-related. I'm like, how many, how many people go to the doctor every day, and how much does that cost us all? And 75% of it is because people are in a weird place. They're in a stressed out space, right? And going to the doctor is not a bad thing, but it speaks to the fact that most of New Zealand spend most of their time in a bad space. Not, not some of us, some of the time, most of us, most of the time, and some of us all of the time are living in a, with a mentality that's not the promises of God. It's not the purposes of God. It's not the plan of God for you to struggle on and on and on and on with depression and anxiety and these other afflictions. I know that things will drive me there, but I also know that the truth of the grace of Christ is that when the problems disappear, I can go back on with the purposes of God. Think about your behavior. Think about the th where you get, well, when I feel this way, I end up behaving like this, and then I get stuck like this for a long time. I, don't, I think the reality is we need to get back to a simple faith that says, no, that's not how I'm called to live. This is the promise and purpose of God. I'm moving back to that. I'm not called. If, if, most, if, if, if Joseph couldn't hear the angel, Jesus would either have been killed in Bethlehem, or if Joseph couldn't hear the, the, the angel, Jesus would have grown up in Egypt. Do you know the whole story of the Bible from Abraham right through to Paul and John, the God, all of the story of God's work with human beings, it all swings around the moments that the angel speaks. God speaks to Abraham, go to a land I'm going to show you. And gets there and God speaks again and says, I'm going to give you all this land. But there were, there were months or years in between. God says to Joseph, hey, flee and go to Egypt. And it says, that very night, that very night, Joseph left and went to Egypt. Do you know what the Bible doesn't say? And then he took, a, he, he put his, he, he took what? He took his left foot and stepped out. And then he prayed about it, and then he, then he took his right foot and stepped out, because it's a journey, brother. Of course it's a journey. What we spend all of our time doing is obsessing about the process. Do you know the process isn't in the Bible? What's in the, imagine how long the Bible would be if we had to hear about the process. 
Do you know what the Bible says? It says they, 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 they went to Egypt and then you don't hear about what happens in Egypt for 400 years because that's the process. No one cares about the process. God says to Joseph, go to Egypt. So they went to Egypt. And then God says, go back. So they went back. You, no one hears about the process. You don't hear about the process. What, the critical thing is what do you do when the angel speaks? Because the reality is this, whether you obey the angel or not, you're going to have a process. Tomorrow morning, you will have to get up and deal with a whole lot of stuff. And that will either be, you'll have to deal with a whole lot of stuff trapped in Egypt, or you'll have to deal with a whole lot of stuff heading towards the plan of God. Oh, it's not as simple as just heading back to the promised land. There's a process, Pastor Jordan. Do you know what? I know there's a process, but I don't care about your process. I don't care about it. I care about the direction your life is in. Because you're going to have a process making bricks with straw, and you're going to have a process heading towards the promise of God. The critical thing is when God speaks to you, do you leave that night and start heading towards what God has called you to? Okay, let's do this. Let's do this with a song. Everyone, jump to your feet, jump to your feet. Uh, you need to get into groups of four. Minimum four, maximum six. Uh, they need to be a circle, so you, you need to go across the rows a little bit. We don't have a lot of time for this. Grab hands in a circle. I would expect some of you to be able to do this. Eugene, you're an intelligent man. Just grab hands in a circle. Okay, and sing it with me. Sing it with me. You put your left foot in. Put your left foot out. Put your left foot in. And you shake. Come on. Hokey cokey, and you turn around, and that's what it's all about. Come on, sing it! You put your right foot in, put your right foot out, put your right foot in, and you shake it all about. You do the hokey coke, don't know what to do, turn around, and that's what it's all about. Come on, put your whole self, put your whole self in, put your whole self out. Put your whole self in. You do the hokey tokey and you turn around. And that's what it's all about. Grab a seat, grab a seat. My suggestion to you in 2019 is that you do the hokey tokey. Oh, I'm in a bad, I put myself in a bad space. We'll pull it out. Do the hokey cokey and turn around. Because that's what it's all about. It's in the song. It's in the song. Don't, don't, don't enjoy the bad space. Don't get stuck in the bad space. Don't come underneath the bad space. Just pull yourself out. Shake it all about. Do the hokey cokey, turn around. That's what it's about. Because the reality is it's, that is what it's about. It's not about the process. Oh, you know, I just need to really work on my habits. No, don't work on your habits. Change them. You're not going to, you, you got to change them. Oh, but I won't last till Wednesday. Well, do you know what you can do on Wednesday? Shake it all about and turn around. Because the reality is you get somewhere by going in the right direction. Right? And you get nowhere making bricks with straw. And that's the, that's the end of the sermon, I believe. Keep coming, musicians, but it's not the end of the sermon. That was a joke. And it was not a joke. It was a mistake. Uh, we have to have some New Testament. <laughs> have to, this is what it says in Ephesians. This is what, what Paul, this is obviously the hokey-cokey song hadn't been invented. 
Toki, pokey, cokey. Do the research. There's a whole lot of different ways to say it. What was the, what was the other original one, Sam? Uh, what's your name? Elliot. What is it? Hink and booby is the oldest version. Do the hink and booby. Can't see why that didn't stick. But anyway, that's from 1870. It was called the, in 1870s Scotland, it was called the hink and booby. Do the hink and booby. Uh, that's what it's all about. Anyway. First century AD, it was called this, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds, Egypt. They're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Okay, so next time when you, think, when you say, oh, I'm just in a bad space, what you should say instead is, I'm ignorant and darkened because of the hardness of my heart. <laughs> right? If someone says, how are you going and you're in a bad space, you can say, I have become callous and given myself up to sensuality, and I'm greedy and I practice every kind of impurity. That'd be a great way to start e-group. How are things going, Scott? Well, <laughs> but that's not the way you learn Christ. It's not how you learned it. Assuming that you've heard about him, we've heard about Jesus, little baby Jesus, and you were taught about him as the truth is in Jesus, right? Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and it's corrupt through its deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Or, in other words, do the hooky pokey, do the hooky pokey. That's what I'm about. My intention is that next time you're feeling in a bad space, that that song will come to you. And you'll think, the angels are singing. The next time you're driving to work and you're feeling depressed or stressed, or you're dealing with your kids and you're feeling anxious and worried, maybe even in a management meeting you could sing the song with the team. And just say, you know, at my church, when we feel like this, when the pressure's on, we just do the hokey cokey. Or you could say it like this, as a Christian, I believe when the pressure's on like this, we should do the hokey-cokey. Maybe around a hospital bed. Because the reality is, we, don't, we didn't learn Christ like that. We didn't learn Christ stuck in Egypt. We learned Christ to be a God of grace and a God of power. And when, he, when Christ himself had to flee to Egypt, when it was time, he just went back. When you find yourself in Egypt, don't judge yourself. Just shake it out, shake it off, move back towards the promises and the purposes of God. Because you get to your destination by maintaining direction for as long as it needs to be. No, you, if you, when you take a wrong turn, you don't just park your car and think, oh, I'm never, just never going to get there. Well, it depends what your car's like. It might be true, right? But... But the reality is when you take a wrong turn, you, just, you, look, you start looking for the, 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 the soonest opportunity that presents itself for you to, to turn it around. 
you instantly switch. I've got to turn this thing around. I've got to turn this thing around. I've got to get back towards the plan and get back towards the purpose that God's called me to. Amen. When you close your eyes and bow your heads, we're going to pray just before we go. Perhaps you're hearing, maybe you've never made a decision to acknowledge Jesus as your Savior. You might have grown up in church. Maybe you've never been to church before, but the truth of the gospel is that Jesus came as God Himself and lived, in a, lived a human life and died in our place. He took upon Himself all of our sin. And the Bible says really clearly that He takes our broken nature and He gives us His righteousness or His, His right nature. That's what this sermon's been about is that we don't have to live in our broken spaces. We can receive by faith in Jesus Christ a right nature, a fixed nature. Because of His grace, because of His love for us, that's what's available to us. Because of the price that He paid, we can be transformed as we follow Him, as we choose to make Him the Lord of our life. And it begins by acknowledging Him, acknowledging Him as Savior, acknowledging Him as our Lord. And so if you've never done that, or maybe you've made those decisions in the past, but maybe you've walked away from God. Can I encourage you, tonight is a great night to recommit your life to Jesus, to rededicate your life to Him. Tonight is a great night to acknowledge Him, to acknowledge His love for you, acknowledge His plan for you, and receive from Him the forgiveness you need to begin living the life that He designed you for. I've asked everyone to close their eyes and bow their heads. And in a moment, I want to lead us all in a prayer where we acknowledge Jesus and we choose to follow Him. But before we pray, I just want to know who's making this decision tonight. So I've asked people to close their eyes and bow their heads. And So wherever you're sitting, I just want you to shoot your hand up in the air. Give me a quick wave. When I've seen your hand, you can put it back down. And then when people have had a chance to respond, we're going to pray. So if that's you, why don't you just lift your hand in three Two, one. Shoot your hand out wherever you're sitting and I'll see it and you can put your hand back down. Just give it a quick wave for me so I can see over here in the balcony, up here in the back of the room. How many others are making that decision tonight? Just shoot your hand up. Make it real easy for me to see. And then once people have had a chance to respond, we're going to pray. There's obviously no pressure to respond in a moment like this. This is an opportunity for people. If that's you, just lift your hand, give me a wave, and then we're going to pray in just about 10 seconds. There you also, if you wanted to join with the others who have already responded, why don't you do that right now? And then we're going to pray. Awesome. Can we stand to our feet? We'll pray together. I'll pray a line of the prayer, and then we'll all pray it together. And then those of you who lifted your hand, or if you, if you didn't feel comfortable lifting your hand, can I encourage you to pray this prayer? Acknowledging Jesus anyway, and He'll begin a work. God will begin a work in your life, a transforming work, even as you pray. Is that all right? Here we go. Let's pray together. Dear God, I thank You for Your love. And I thank You, Jesus, for dying in my place and paying the penalty for my sin. I'm choosing today to follow You. I ask You to forgive me. And I ask You to remake me the person you designed me to be. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Can we give God a shout of praise? He's so good.
just before, just before I hand back to Pastor Scott, um, there's, I think there's, I want to pray for everyone, but I want you to identify yourself in, in, to yourself or where you're at right now. Um, are you fleeing the promise towards Egypt? Are you in Egypt? Or are you stuck in Egypt? You don't need to identify it to me because I don't need to know. But I think you need to know. Are you running away from God's purposes? Maybe frightened, maybe starving. These are good reasons to run. Are you running away or are you just away? You're in a system that you know works for you. You've figured it out so it works for you. But you know it's not the flow and the promise and the purpose of God. Or are you actually stuck in a place distant from what you know God's called you to do? Have you identified yourself? Because it's important you know where you are because then you know which direction to head. Back towards the promise and the purpose of God. The truth of the matter is you live your entire life underneath the purposes and the plan of God. And we sometimes reach up and touch those purposes in a moment. But I believe for you that you can live a life in the flow of God's purpose. You can live a life on purpose rather than living a life by accident. Why don't you lift your hands across the room? I'd love to pray for you. Holy Spirit, right now, I just pray for this amazing army of people, this body of people, Lord God. Lord, I thank you that this this is a congregation called to something collectively, to an impact in this city. But this is a group of individuals, Lord God, with with a unique plan, individuals with unique purpose, individuals with a unique target that you have in mind, that you've built them for. And Lord, I pray from the front to the back, Lord God, I pray that this song song we sung, this message would sink into our hearts. Lord God, that we live 2019 and beyond. In your purpose, in the flow of what you promised, in the center of your will, Lord God, that we pursue the things you've made us for, the things you've called us for.